Hi, I'm Mari. Thank you all for listening to all the programs on KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. KUCI is committed to bring you great public affairs shows and terrific music. We love to give you the gift of great listening. So now we are asking you to give back to this station to support all your favorite shows. Please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue all our great programs. You may call and pledge at 824-5824 or UCI-KUCI or go online and pledge at KUCI.org. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from KUCI. But most of all, you will help to continue the great shows that air 24-7. So thank you for calling right now, UCI-KUCI-824-5824, or go online and pledge at www.KUCI.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Today, our show is about a very private issue for many people who are afraid to discuss what has happened to them as abductees or the research that they've done on unidentified flying objects and other aspects of the strange and somewhat perhaps considered frightening possibilities of what is going on in our universe. So before I introduce our guest, I want to tell you about this incredible upcoming conference. It's the world's largest UFO conference, Contact in the Desert, and it is returning for its seventh year on May 31st through June 3rd, 2019 in Indian Wells, California at the Renaissance Indian Wells and Spa. It is the most comprehensive lineup of experts ever assembled, uh, which will have lectures on the latest developments in UFO studies, government disclosures and non-disclosures, ancient civilizations, crop circles, and more. The event grows exponentially every year with attendees from all over the world gathering for panel discussions, workshops, film screenings, speaker meet and greets, night sky gazing, and tours of the area's historic UFO sites. So this is pretty amazing. And you and I, Lloyd, are going to be going there and interviewing, hopefully, abductees as well as other experts. Forbes magazine names the contact in the desert as one of the world's 
eight best places to search for UFOs. And the conference is the most important educational gathering of its kind at a time when really we need to know, and that's never been as much as it is now when we're having the president introduce a Space Force. So lots of stuff is going on, and we are just excited to be interviewing our guests. You can learn more about this event, Contact in the Desert, at contactinthedesert.com. We're just thrilled today because we are going to be speaking with a wonderful expert on abductions. He is a physician, a psychiatrist. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael, who's with me here, across on the other side of the coast, uh, and coming from Boston this morning. Uh, Dr. Michael Johnson is a retired Harvard Medical School psychiatrist and professor. And he has an incredible background. I'm going to ask him in a second to tell us a little bit about that. But the reason we're having him on is because we're also very excited about this upcoming wonderful program called Contact in the Desert. And Lloyd and I are going to be there and interviewing people. And we wanted to interview some of the experts ahead of time. So um, this is actually the world's largest unidentified flying object conference. And it is going to be May 31st through June 3rd, I'm sorry, in Indian Wells, California, beautiful place to have it. And they're going to have all these top experts, of which one of them is Michael, which we're thrilled to have him on. And the USA Today calls it the Woodstock of UFOs. So you can find out more about this wonderful event that I'm going to be going to and Lloyd's going to be going to. It's called contactinthedesert.com. So thank you so much for joining us. We finally, we, we did some tech support together and here you are. Fun, right? Yeah, thank you for inviting me. You know, I'd love to hear, have you tell a little bit about your background. Um, you have a fabulous background as a professor and a physician. Well, I, I want to correct that. I'm actually, at the medical school, they make distinctions that are very important to the medical school. So I'm a clinical instructor in psychiatry. Okay. Uh, that was my appointment. And I, I taught medical students, uh, first year medical students for 15 years. Very good. And I know you have lots of awards and it's, we do actually have on our website, we have your whole bio. So I want to just jump right in if you don't mind, because I think you have some exciting things to tell us. So first of all, why don't you tell us how you got interested in the UFO phenomena? Well, as many undergraduates, we read Eric Von Donegan and, um, I didn't really, I read it in college and then I kind of forgot it. You know, in medical school, you don't have time for following stuff like that up. Then I was a Naval Reserve Officer at Portsmouth Naval Hospital for two years. I served as a psychiatric clinician at the Naval Hospital and we saw traumatized uh, Naval vets there. Mm -hmm. We saw the PTSD guys coming out of uh, the Hanoi Hilton. But in the evenings, I mean, this was uh, pretty heavy material. So in the evenings, the medical officers and the flight officers would drink in the same bars. 
Uh -oh. So we would hear, we would hear, I know, we would hear uh, stories that the pilots would say, the one Marine pilots and Navy pilots would say about bogey encounters, but they couldn't talk about it, otherwise they'd lose their flight status. Right. So, but we would hear these stories. Then I didn't hear anything further for a long time. We moved uh, from Boston to Burbank, and at that point, I got to know uh, Victoria Gavoyan, who's the producer of the conference real well in full disclosure we share a grandchild so um, <laughs> i've been a member of the contact community now for six years i've never actually seen a ufo my wife and hundreds of other people two years ago had a fleet of ufos fly over the conference wow amazing so uh, why don't you tell us about a little bit about who is dr john mack John Mack and I were colleagues at Cambridge Hospital. He was, at that point, he was the head of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Mm -hmm. John was a scrupulous uh, scholar. He had written, uh, written one book, uh, winning the Pulitzer Prize on Lawrence of Arabia. So he's a mm -hmm. brilliant writer and clinician. So I was a junior clinician at Cambridge Hospital. I was teaching psychopharmacology and I uh, got to know John in that process of going to Cambridge Hospital. And he, ref uh, at that point, uh, as a young psychiatrist, I'd had some success. I had treated an internationally known concert pianist from the UK. And uh, it, because of that, I, there was a movie made about him and hmm. John Hurd, the actor, played me. Um, so that was made into a play. It was a big thing in the UK. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I had sort of a reputation in Cambridge. So John referred his some of the patients who he was seeing collecting these cases of abduction and visitation and experience. So he referred this referred about three or four cases to me, and I got one that he gave me that seemed like it was something that uh, I couldn't dispute. And this was a woman who was a network anchor in Boston. She was a woman in her late 30s, very intelligent, very socially accomplished, all signs of completely normal life. And she described to me having a craft land on her backyard patio. Wow. Three, three aliens walked through the walls. At that point, she lost awareness. She woke up. She was flat on her kitchen table. The one of the aliens was putting some kind of instrument through her abdomen. She had no pain. She was simultaneously terrified and also felt incredibly safe that she knew it was going to be okay. She had no pain in the incident at all. But then she lost consciousness again. As she woke up and sat up on her kitchen table, she saw the aliens walk through the walls into their craft and then leave. Wow. She was, yeah, I she was, was very, very sane. So that convinced me something's going on. Now, so I've been following. Did he tell you that she communicated at all with these uh, beings? No, the, the, the sensation that many of these people describe, and by the way, this was one of the cases that John described in his book, Abduction. Mm. He wrote another, that was 100 cases of people who've had experience either visitation, abduction, or some kind of experience with an alien directly. 
who mm. wrote another 200 cases, and that was followed by another 200 by another clinician. So we got pretty well documented 400 cases. And this woman was one of them. Very, very credible person. And you would have been able to see yes, at any diagnosis, which she didn't, other than this story no. that seemed very, very strange. Now, Basically, what we screen for things like trauma, major mental illness, none of that. Right. Did she say that the thing that they were doing in her abdomen, did they actually insert something in her abdomen so that they could, like, monitor her or what? No, uh, there wasn't any sensation of that, although she had a clear sensation of something being inside her abdomen, it was more, um, uh, there wasn't anything in plan, it was more like something was being taken. And oh, the, like the eggs story, or something, yeah. Like, yes, her, oh. her eggs, her eggs were being harvested. Oh my goodness, maybe to create um, hybrids or something. Hybrids, yes, and this, this story, by the way, as you listen to these people who've been uh, had experiences like this, they describe roughly the same same kind of story. There are certain elements: feeling terrified but yet safe, uh, having uh, direct contact like this, having some people have had implants. I, I saw recently some X-rays of people who had implants. Uh, because these stories are so consistent across cultures. And mm. in remote areas, that's oftentimes not in urban areas, but in remote areas, these people back then had no way of contacting each other. But right. they gave and the to, same... To find roughly, out about it and have a hallucination or something, right? Wow. Exactly. Right. Were you ever afraid as a renowned psychiatrist to, to let anybody know that you were doing this kind of thing, that you were researching this, or that you, had, that you thought this was credible? My colleagues at Harvard Medical School knew that, first of all, this was back a while, so the whole idea of body-mind medicine, of even psychiatry, of talking cures, that is, maybe it can help sometimes to talk to people about your problems. Yeah. That, that idea was not really accepted. Freudian psychology psychiatry at that point was the dominant theme. I was a Jungian psychiatrist, so I'm entirely different orientation. Right. I'm also heavily interested in neuroscience. So we try to integrate Jungian psychology and neuroscience into the presentation that I'll be doing. Yes. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the name of your lecture that you're going to be doing in Contact in the Desert, what day you're going to be doing. And what is this lecture going to be about? Well, I've take, undertaken the uh, ambitious topic of neuroscience and transdimensional communication. Okay, so I know neuroscience. I love it. I study it all the time. Explain how that works within the realm of uh, communication with ETs. What you mean? How are you blending this neuroscience with this? Right? That's what your lecture is about, right? It has always made sense to me that somehow or another, we have to have neural mechanisms that allow us to have experiences like telepathic communication, psychic communication. Some people have spiritual events happening. So is there any way that 
what we know of brain science can inform the perception of, of uh, alien intelligence and spiritual uh, figures. And there is a way to do this. Now, Michio Kuki, uh, Kiko talks about 11 dimensions. Hmm. Well, you and I are very familiar with the four or five dimensions that we live in. That, that we know very well. But we're oftentimes not aware of the fact that we are embedded. Our body mind is embedded in, in, in 11 dimensions, at least 10. And most physicists would give us eight easily. So we can say, okay, we're embedded in at least eight dimensions that everybody agrees on. What does that mean? And are there neural mechanisms which allow that to occur? And indeed, I speculate. And it's a kind of unproven theory at this point that there are mechanisms, and I've done enough research to begin to lead us in a direction. And I'll be raising these questions with the the audience there about how this can occur. There are neural mechanisms inside each and every cell of the body which perceive um vibration at a quantum level i speculate so for example um when we talk about the eight dimensions and you said maybe 11 so you're talking about sight hearing feeling what else are you what are these eight that you were talking about that so that everybody well, people who are comfortable with these notions actually have names for these dimensions okay and i'm not talking i'm not talking about sensation that okay. is hearing sight touch. I'm talking about uh, things like, uh, well, time is one of the dimensions. Right. Gravity is a dimension. Right. And, and there are names for the uh, more advanced dimensions. Okay. I don't know them, but there are names for them. There is so, a, a speaker, by the way, at the conference who stimulated my own thinking. His name is Nassim Haramine, and I don't mind recommending his his uh, program because I'm the warm-up speaker for his oh, talk. Great. He's brilliant. He is brilliant. I was stunned when I went to last year's conference. I couldn't believe a man was saying this. I had to even stop reading. I had to just think about him for, and his talk for about a year before I was ready for this. <laughs> right. I study neuroscience with regard to how to deal with conflict management and how to, you know, yeah. be an observer and how to really be in touch with what, you know, your higher consciousness. And so it seems to me, and, and there's a lot of times that, that I will be thinking something and my husband will say exactly what I'm thinking and vice versa. And so you know that there's something there or, you know, I'll be thinking something about someone and then they call me. There's some kind of a, a telecommunication, right? <laughs> oh, sure, absolutely. And, and people can enhance that. I've been a lifelong practitioner of silent meditation. I was a born a Quaker. Yeah. Silent, silent meditation is our, our practice. And so I've been doing this my whole life. I practiced Kundalini Yoga for eight years with an ashram. I continue to practice meditation. Meditation enhances endogenous substances and also establishes brain coherence in such a way that we are much more sensitive to these uh, transpersonal forces. Right. I have these 
synchronistic experiences all the time. Right. So it doesn't seem that odd that, that if an ET wanted to communicate with us, even from afar, they could. Of course. Right? Yeah. So that, that's, they, you know, yeah, that, that can be for good or it can be for not good, right? Well, that's true. I mean, the, the, the speculation is that there are some uh, alien forces that are not particularly friendly. Uh, there are other, the grays and the tall blues and the tall grays, and there are several others that are that seem to be friendly, and we're working with them now, allegedly. You know, people in the, uh, we had a, a, a Canadian defense minister talk at the conference last right. year, or two years right. ago. He yeah. absolutely said, we've been covering all this stuff up. Right. The government is right. covering all this stuff up. Why? Because the, they believe that we're going to, adults are going to be terrified? Well, some of us aren't. And, and hopefully we can uh, communicate with these uh, beings. I mean, to think that we're in this huge universe and we're this little tiny thing in this huge universe, that there aren't other living entities out there. I mean, you got to be really, it's like uh, when they thought that the earth was flat, right? <laughs> you know? And there was nothing, you're going to fall off, there was nothing there. You refer to your to the movie Arrival. Do you want to tell us what you think about that? Well, I thought it was a terrific movie, number one, because right. it, it actually kind of illuminates the problem of how would we end up communicating with an alien intelligence? Right. Now, so I started thinking about that, and, and I asked myself, are there any alien intelligence which live on the Earth? And indeed there are. The octopus uh, is an example. Octopuses have their neural system on the outside, so their their brain is their skin. Wow. And they are very intelligent. They right. have community. They, there is a site off Australia, which is called Octopolis, where octopi, uh, octopuses come and congregate, socialize, date, and move. <laughs> It's called Octopolis. <laughs> <laughs> it's an octopus convention. <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, in, in Arrival, Amy Adams is in, encounters what are called heptapods. These are uh, very tall, octopus-looking uh, aliens who are inside this giant uh, uh, spaceship, which is uh, uh, part of a, a fleet of uh alien craft surrounding the earth and the the aliens are trying to communicate well amy is an, a linguist and so she is trying to decode their message right and there's one right. point where she decides they are bringing peace rather than weapons and right. that saves the world right it was a great movie it was a great movie oh i love it and they, you know, they're even, using even Star Trek from way back, you know, um, the way it was created, they, there was information that, um, you know, that, that the producer had had from communicating with people who had experienced, um, you know, knowing about what goes on with the ET, all this stuff that was kept secret. It's fascinating stuff. To me, I'm not scared of of knowing about ETs. I love to know about it. I want to know about it. I want to go and learn more about it. But what I am worried about is how they may be the bad ones influencing 
through mental telepathy, maybe the terrorists. That's the stuff that worries me. Yeah. And so, you know, you, I know you, you know, we could talk a little bit about the communication between species, uh, extraterrestrial species and us. And what do you think about that? Is that something to be concerned about? Well, I don't think we know yet. Uh, you know, in, in some ways, the more intimate encounters that we've been recently having over the last, uh, well, you know, if we, we uh, use uh, Whitley Stryber's book about uh, his experiences as a child uh, going into the, we, so the, the whole, uh, there's a whole history then of personal encounters uh, that we can rely on. So you went to you went last year. I didn't go last year. Tell us about about the conference, so, and tell me like I'm excited to be going for those three days. Well, I find it fascinating. These are people who are scout, serious scholars in many fields. We have uh, archaeologists there. We have pilots there. We've had astronauts there. We have uh, typically every year a, a representative from the Vatican, the chief American Council. The Vatican shows up. That's Why? interesting. The, the Vatican has a huge astronomical library. And recently, and the Pope had said that if we find out that there are ETs out there, it doesn't discount Catholicism. So, not at all. Thing for him to say, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. People think, well, should I have what? What is my faith now that I know? Uh, a larger universe. Well, doesn't change. I right. still believe in the oneness. I still believe in the oneness. It doesn't change the vibrational. What uh, Nassim Haramein calls the unified uh, field. I right. call it the uh, unified fractal field. That's only a difference in language, but what, we're in a unified field for heaven's sake. Yeah. So do you think when, does anyone come to you now uh, well, know, before you retire? Do they come to you and talk to you more about what was going on with them besides that one woman? Were there other abductees that you had spoken to? Oh, yeah. every year at the conference, someone will pull me aside. And, and, you know, once they know that I know John Mack and people are, are telling these stories all the time. You know, I, in fact, I went to a broadcast two weeks ago, and the uh, uh, the host of the program uh, indicated after, after the show was over that he and his mother had witnessed a craft landing on a lake nearby their rural cabin and talked about it quite freely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were um, we were on our deck. Um, there's like there's like a, a canyon that goes down to the ocean and there's some areas that are just canyon and my husband went out on the deck and he said come out here come out here look at this and there were these lights and it like disappeared you know and and we said what was that it there was no noise it wasn't a helicopter wasn't a plane and then we quick went online and sure enough there were other people saying did you see that down in dana point we're in laguna Niguel." And Dana Point is like the next town down. And people were saying from all the way down south, did you see that? Did anybody else see this? Because <laughs> we said UFO in South Orange County, California. So, yeah, it was, it was really strange. So Yeah, I think in Southern California we've got more activity because of the nearby military installations. And every time you, you, you see a, a UFO, you will oftentimes see scrambled 
scrambled jets following up on that. The thing that has been puzzling is how do these craft instantly disappear? And that's the whole transdimensional discussion. That is, on radar, these craft disappear. Right. On sight, they disappear. How is that possible? Well, yes. transdimensional uh, movement of some kind has to be occurring. Right. Well, we are just out of time. So thank you so much. And we're going to see you. I'll look for you. You look for me. And it's going to be a very exciting time to exchange all this information. So thank you for all your research. Thank you for following up on this. It's, and thank you for learning the technology to do the Zoom interview with me, too. So we'll see you, you very soon. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mari. Thank you all for listening to all the programs on KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. KUCI is committed to bring you great public affairs shows and terrific music. We love to give you the gift of great listening. So now we are asking you to give back to this station to support all your favorite shows. Please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue all our great programs. You may call and pledge at 824-5824 or UCI, KUCI, or go online and pledge at KUCI.org. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from KUCI. But most of all, you will help to continue the great shows that air 24-7. So thank you for calling right now, UCI, KUCI, 824-5824, or go online and pledge at www.KUCI.org. 